Bible, uh, please go to uh, 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 18. It's just one verse. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, if you could look that up. Uh, 1 John chapter 18 is toward the end of your Bible. Uh, in my Bible, it is uh, on page 1,316. I'm not sure what number it's going to be in yours, but it's toward the end of the Bible, uh, 1 John 4, 18. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have the verse on the screen. And it says this. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So some of you guys know we are continuing a series called I Give Up. It's it's a series called I Give Up, and the premise of the whole series is this. I used to believe that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, was defined with either a belief that you subscribe to, It was defined by a set of activities that you would participate in, or it was defined by a space that you would share maybe once or twice a week. That's what I thought being a Christian meant, but I was wrong. And we've been talking about this for the past few weeks. I used to think that church was sort of like a social club or like a gym, right? So you go to social club, gym, like what what are the requirements to be a part of, of a gym? We talked about this last week. All you have to do is sign up, right? You have to be the right age, pay the money, you're in. And so I was thinking about that as church as a social club or or church as as a gym. And the reality is that that to participate in church, for the most part, there's not really much that is required. Like you just show up and and we're good to go. But here's the thing. You may think, you may think in your mind, you may think this. You may think Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. And I preach this a lot. Jesus died for the forgiveness of my sins. So that means that I don't have to do anything else. So I can come to church every Sunday, participate in this group, and I got that checked off my list, so I am, I am good to go. You may say, well, pastor, I, I thought that salvation was passive. In other words, that I don't have to do anything to earn my salvation. Jesus did all the work. I don't have to do anything. I receive the salvation, so I am good, good to go. The problem with that is that even though that is true, most of us, that's where it ends. Like for many of us, that's where it is. I got my salvation. I hold on to my salvation. And then that's all that I have to do in my life. You hold on to your salvation until Jesus returns, right? And then you're, you're good to go. And so the problem is that many churches are set up like this. They're set up to make church as comfortable as possible. Like, hey, if you just show up every Sunday, if you give your tithe, if you participate, then we, just, we don't want to rock the boat too much. We want to keep this as easy listening or as easy as possible because we don't want to make people uncomfortable. But the problem is that, that I don't want for our church to fall into that because we say every Sunday, this is a church of wide open doors. We're just glad that you're here. And we are truly glad that you are here. We are truly glad that you come, come to church. And you can sit here. And you can listen your whole life. Um, But I just want you to know, even though you can do that, even though I can do that, I just want you to know that is not the goal. That is not the goal of what we're doing here. The goal is for Christ, like what Galatians 4.19 says, is for Christ to be formed in you. 
and in me. That's the goal. So, so like I said before, salvation is passive. So it's all Jesus' work. We are only recipients of the salvation that we receive. But Christ being formed in you is active. There's work that you need to do, not to gain your salvation, but if you really, because that's my assumption, you're here, not just because you want to be saved, check that off your box, be good to go. You want Christ to be formed in you. That's the assumption that I'm making, and that is why we are here today. But for Christ to be formed in you and Christ to be formed in me, there's work to do. And that's what this series is all about. I asked you last week, why are you here? I thought that would be offensive. I thought you wouldn't come back, but here you are again. Why are you here? Why am I here? Is it the fellowship? Is it the great coffee? Is it the comfortable chairs? Is it, is it the church merch? Is it nice people, good music? Is it the helpful message? Like, why are you here? You can come here, like I said earlier, and you can sit here all your life, and I'll be happy to see you, I promise, every Sunday. But the reason why you exist as a church, that is not why, sorry, that is not why we exist as a church. That is not the calling of this church, and that, that is not a calling for you as a disciple. It's much more than that. The Great Commission doesn't say that we are called to make converts. We're called to make disciples, and, and a disciple implies life change, life change, the transformation into the image of Christ, like a sculptor. Remember, we said that last week, like a sculptor. You know, you ask a sculptor, hey, how do you make this beautiful sculpture? Well, I just know what I want it to look like, and I just take everything out that is in the way. And so I was thinking a little bit deeper about this, like a sculptor. He's making a sculpture, but he has an image over here of what he wants that sculpture to look like. And so he looks at it, and he compares, and he's like, i got to take this out. You look at it again, you compare, i got to take this out. This is what we need to do as we look at Christ through the scriptures. We begin to mold ourselves, we begin to adjust ourselves into the image of Christ. That's what we're doing here today, um, and that's what this series is all about. Acts 4.13 says this. I love this verse. I think this is going to be helpful for us to understand. Acts 4.13 says this. When they, talking about the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John, the disciples, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Here's what I want for you and what I want for me. Is that when people look at us, they'll take note of who we are and they'll say, man, those people, they've been with Jesus. I don't know what people think of me or you when they interact with you. And here's my fear. Maybe they'll look at you and they will say things like, for example, I can tell that these people are religious. I can tell that these people, they look like church people. I can tell that these people hold to a particular belief. That's not the goal. The goal is for us to be molded into the image of Jesus, and that when people look at us, they'll take note, and they say, you know what, that person, I think that person has been with Jesus. That's the goal, and hopefully, this whole experience will be helpful to you. Christ is being formed in you. That's what we do here, and that's what this series is all about. Colossians chapter 3 talks about this whole idea of taking parts of our life and putting them to death, putting things to death in our, in our life, and so... I want to encourage you to ask someone today a question, not, just, not a perfect stranger. I want to encourage you to ask someone this question today, maybe someone that you know, maybe someone that's next to you, a friend, someone that's heard this message. Ask them this, what are you currently putting to death in your life? 
that's a great discipleship question. Like, what is, what is it in your life that right now you are actively putting to death? We should be able to answer this question. And I said something last, last week that if the answer to the question of what you are putting to death in your life is nothing, then I'm sorry, but you are a nominal Christian that likes the social aspect of church, but that is not a true disciple. When I thought about that last week, I'm like, man, whew, I don't know, man. The week, two weeks earlier, I, I asked you to raise your hand if you were a hypocrite, and half of you guys raised your hand, and then the week after, we had record attendance in church, so I don't know what that means. Maybe you guys are just fans of the tough love, right? And here you are. You came back again, so I don't know. Maybe that'll adjust my messages here a little bit. I won't be as nice as I've been so far, but... But the reality is this, is that a disciple is inexorably connected to death. That's what it means to be a disciple, putting things to death. Matthew 16, 24, the words of Jesus, he literally says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, that is death language, take up their cross and follow me. Being a disciple is synonymous of death, not dying in the physical sense, because Christ already died in the physical sense for us. That's not, that's not what he's saying. Jesus already did it, did it. Not dying in the physical sense, but dying in the Romans 12.1 sense, which says, Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a what? A living sacrifice. Jesus already died. We don't have to die physically, living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So the question this morning is not, here's the, the, it's not this. The question this morning is not, is there anything in your life that needs to be put to death? That's not the question. The question is, what is it in your life that needs to be put to death? Have you identified that in your life? What is it in your life that you need to give up? That's what this series is all about. So last week, we, st we spoke on, on envy. Today, we're going to talk about fear. Today, we're going to talk about fear. We need to put fear out of our lives. What has been the scariest moment you've ever experienced? You don't have to say it. Scariest moment. Think about that for a little bit. One of my scariest moments that I ever had in my whole life was when I was, I think I was 19 years old, and I was in Chile, South America. I grew up as a missionary there. And we were, I was part of a band, part of a rock band, and we, you know, we were doing a very short, small tour through the country in, our, in a little, you know, a little bus. And that bus in the night crashed. The guy that was driving, he fell asleep and he crashed on the freeway. That was the most scary, well, one of the most scary things that I've gone through in my whole life. I remember my brother was sitting in the, in the front row. He had blood all over his face. We walked away from that without any problems. There's no injuries or anything like that, but it was so scary. You know, for the next year, I had, like, PTSD. Every time a car would kind of stop, I would like, whoa, this is going to happen. This is going to happen again. What has been your scary experience in your life? What is it for you? What would you say is the biggest um, fear on average for a human? Well, according to ChatGPT, the number one fear is death. The, number, the, number, the second most fearful thing in human experience is public speaking. So you probably understand now why I sweat so much while I'm on stage. <laughs> Number three is fear of heights. 
Number four is fear of spiders, fear of snakes, fear of confined spaces. Then it goes down the list to fear of the dark, fear of failure, fear of rejection. Number 10 is fear of flying. Number 11 is fear of public places. Number 12 is fear of change. Fear of abandonment is number 13. Number 14 is fear of social embarrassment. And number 15 is fear of crime and violence. And I don't know if you noticed, but there just seems to be a sense of fear in our world right now. There's a sense of fear, like anything could happen, like... Like, you know, presidential elections, more COVID coming our way, right? The hurricane, Ukraine, the nuclear threat. Like, there's so many things that seem to be scaring us right now. It seems like things are very unstable these days. Like, anything could happen. Do you feel this? Do you feel frightened? Do you feel like, man, I just, I don't know. It's just, things seem to be strange right now. You know, as Christians, we, we can feel a lot of things, and it's fine that we can feel certain things as Christians. I'm going to give you a list of things that, as Christians, we can feel. No problem. Love. We can feel sympathy. We can feel empathy, solidarity, courage, urgency, conviction, righteous anger. We can feel disappointment. But if there's one thing that, as Christians, we should not feel is fear. When you look through the Bible, 365 times, you're going to find the concept of not having fear. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Now, I don't want you to feel guilty if you feel fear. Like, I think it's a normal feeling. But what I do want you to understand is that a sign of Christ being formed in you is not an increase in the feelings of fear, but it's a decrease in the feelings of fear. God does not want you to have fear. God does not want for fear to be a part of your life period. Now, the problem is that I think many of you perhaps grew up with fear. Like, you grew up with a sense of fear. Like, like fear was part of your life. You grew up with fear of consequences. You grew up with fear of violence. You grew up with fear of loneliness. You grew up with fear of failure. Like, like fear was just part of what you, what you grew up with, and fear probably drove a lot of your life. Some of you here maybe were even manipulated by fear as you were growing up. You were manipulated by your parents, by the church, by a boss, by a spouse, by a teacher. This whole idea of do this or else. This feeling of like, like if I, yes, I just got to comply because if not, I know there's going to be something bad that's going to happen. And the, the twisted part of this is that sometimes, see if I can explain this, Some, sometimes that fear was masqueraded or was packaged in love. So you, don't know, you didn't know what that was. You felt like it was love that you were feeling or that you had that connection, like, oh, this is love. But the reality is that what was driving you was actually fear. And this is a really interesting one, and it's a fascinating one, but it's also a very sad one. And some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Parents, church, boss, spouse, maybe, right, do this. Maybe it was implied. Maybe it, was, it wasn't even said directly, but, but do this or I'm taking away my love. Or I'm taking away your sense of safety. You owe me. You owe me, right? If you leave me, it's because you don't love me. If you don't do what I'm saying, it's because you don't love me. And so there's this whole manipulation, and then you realize that there is fear, and there's love, and they're mixed up, and you don't know what you're feeling. And so it's this, this weird mixture. And we can be very critical of abusive relationships. Like, I don't know, like... How, how, why is she still with him? Why are they still together, you know? Or even in relationships where the one, the one receiving the abuse is actually justifying the behavior of the abuser. 
So there's this weird combination of fear and love, and you don't know what it is. Fear and love gets mixed up, and it becomes very confusing. You don't know what it is that's going on in this relationship, but it's weird. I think it's love, but it's really fear. It's kind of both together. seems like a strange mixture, mixture, which sometimes is described as codependency, that weird combination. So did you know that the same concept of fear and love mixed in there can also happen in the church? It can happen in the church. It can happen in the church with your, with your relationship with God, where you don't know what you're feeling. You don't know if you're scared of God or you don't know if you love him. You don't know if you're following God because you're afraid that he's going to strike you down or you actually love God. You see it through the history of the church, the Reformation movement with Martin Luther. He was fighting against this whole idea of the church manipulating people, making them confused in their relationship with God, thinking that what was driving it was love, but it was actually fear. Fear of punishment. Fear that if they don't do A, B, or C, they're going to go to hell. Fear that if they don't do a certain prayer or give a certain amount of money, their loved one will not be saved. Fear. And it was confused. And all this thing was kind of mixed in together. That was the basis of all the indulgences. I would love to say that's just, that's past history. That's not part of our history anymore. That no longer happens in church. Like we got, we got clarity as far as what this is all about. But I have to be honest with you. I grew up being scared of God, which is different from the fear of the Lord, which we're not going to unpack right now, but it's different from the fear of the Lord. That's a whole other concept. But being scared of God is something, is something different. When I, as I was growing up, I was always scared of the return of, of Christ. Like when I, when I thought about Jesus returning, it was a frightening thing for me. I was not excited. I'm like, oh, like a little earthquake or something, like a noise, that might be Jesus. Like I don't know if I'm ready or not. Because I know what I did earlier today, and I don't know if I've confessed my sin. I don't know if I'm good to go with God. So I was, I was scared. Maybe you're here today, and, you, and you, you fear that God will abandon you. You fear that God will stop loving you. You fear that he will not come through for you. He'll, you'll fear that he will no longer protect you. If you don't come, if you don't tithe, if you don't participate, if you don't do your prayer, if you don't do all these things, then you're afraid that God will no longer love you. If this is you today, I want to tell you, you're not alone. This is so common, but it is not the gospel. I grew up with a tremendous contradiction that no one seemed to resolve. God loves you more than anything you will ever know, but he will torture you mercilessly like a brutal monster if you don't comply. (sighs) Okay. So on the one hand is the most loving and accepting father. On the other hand, the cruelest, most brutal monster you have ever known. Like, I don't understand. It was this, there was this confusion in my heart, and I didn't know what I was, I knew I had to love God. I had to love him. But I couldn't love him because all I felt was fear. So how does this, how do you unravel this, this complication? Well, that's why this verse is so important. First John 4.18, I'm going to read it again. It says this, there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So what it's saying here is that love 
and fear, they cannot coexist. They are mutually exclusive. They are inversely proportional. Love drives out fear. Fear drives out love. The more fear, the less love. The more love, the less fear. So the enemy, this is so important, the enemy is so cunning that he has confused many of us into believing that what you have is love when in reality all you have is fear. You can't love God if you're scared of him, period. If I tell my wife, like when we were dating, like, hey, you have to marry me. If you don't marry me, I'm going to torture you. Like, she might marry me, but she's not going to marry me because she loves me. She's going to marry me because she's scared that I will torture her. That's kind of a dark example. I apologize. That was kind of weird. But, but seriously, the reality of this is that many of you grew up following Jesus, not as a result of your deep love for him, but just as a result of the fear of the punishment. I want to tell you, you may be following Jesus out of fear, but that is not love. That is not love. So in order to, in order to put this fear to death in our life, because that's what we're doing. We're putting this, this, this fear that we have, we're going to put it to death. We have to understand this verse, 1 John 418, I'm going to read it again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Here's the thing. You and I, we have nothing to fear because fear has to do with punishment. And all the punishment fell on Jesus on the cross. The interesting thing was I was, I was reading, uh, as you look through the Gospels and you read stories, and there's, when Jesus was on, was on the cross, he was giving a, a mild painkiller. It, uh, it was wine mixed with myrrh, and Jesus, he rejected it. And the reason why he rejected it, some scholars will say that he wanted to feel the full impact of all the pain that was going to be happening as a result of his crucifixion. And that's interesting to me, because that means that, that he, he bore all of our sins, like everything. He didn't hold back at all in anything. So here's the thing. When, when Jesus dies on the cross for us, he completed his sacrifice forever. So the whole idea of do this or else, all that or else was on Jesus. He already took that. It's very important for us to understand this. So today I want you to be, I want you to be free from this. Because if you still fear, if you still have fear in your life, it's because you feel like there's something that you lack, something that you might lose, something that you, need, you feel like you need to compensate for. And this is a vital contradiction. Because if this is the case, then the enemy has successfully allowed this lie of fear masqueraded with love to enter your life. It's a vital contradiction. If your experience with God has been driven by fear, you have missed the gospel. So if you have fear, I want it to be driven out today. This is what I hope will happen today. So how do we do that? How do we eliminate the fear in our life? Well, first of all, we need to understand what actually happened on the cross that day. Jesus on the cross. He says these words, right? Tetelestai. Which I heard someone say, Pastor, if you say to tell us that one more time, I'm leaving the church. It was a joke, though, by the way. I just, I, there was a season when I repeated that phrase a lot. But he dies on the cross. 
Tetelestai means it is finished, which means that there is nothing left for him to do as has been completed. That's number one. Number two is putting your faith in it. See, the evidence that you have understood this is that your fear should be crushed. You should no longer have fear. And I love what Paul says here. I want this verse to free some of you today as it freed me. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 38. Romans chapter 8, 38 says this. This is the apostle Paul saying, for I am convinced. So what, what does that mean? I'm convinced. He's convinced of something. I, he's saying, I no longer have any doubt. This is what faith is. Like I know this for sure, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His lo- you can't escape his love. You cannot escape his, his love. This verse should help us crush any fear that we may have. Because fear has to do with punishment. That's why it's so important at the end of the verse. It says, in Christ our Lord, meaning he received all the punishment. And we shouldn't fear because the fear has to do with punishment. We're not going to get the punishment. Jesus got the punishment. So there's no fear anymore. We can only receive the love of Jesus. That's what faith is, participating in that. So there's nothing in all creation that will separate you from the love of God. No wonder Paul can say in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Paul had lost all fear because he was swimming in the love of God. Not as a result of what he did, but receiving what Christ already did for him. And I want to tell you this morning, Christ's love is here right now. It's here now. Like it is here for you. It is available for you right now in this moment. There's nothing more needs to happen. Like Christ already did all the work. The love is available, you receive the love as a result of what he did, and your fear will start to to diminish, it has to start to diminish as a result of what Christ did for you. The more love, the less fear. His love is everywhere. So Paul understood this. He says, like, even if I lose my life, I'm good. I have everything that I need. This is what I want you to walk away with today. Some of you guys here are waiting for something to happen. I I get that. Waiting for something to happen. Like, okay, when I get that loan, then, you know, I'll I'll be I'll be good, right? Then then there's no more fear. When when I when I restore my marriage, then I'll be there's be no more fear. When when I get promoted, then finally my fear will be gone because I got the promotion that I was always waiting for. If Jesus answered my prayer, when the war in Ukraine ends, like all these things were like, once this thing happens, then I can relax and I don't have to have any, any, more, any more fear. That's not, that's not the way it works. It's not about waiting for something to happen. It's about letting into your heart what Jesus already did, the thing that already happened 2,000 years ago, and that will allow for the fear to leave and the love to come in. I'm going to end with this. I'm going to read this uh, verse. It's 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I absolutely love, love these verses. We're going to end with this. It says, um, verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God 
is love. God is love. There's a difference between, um, I think I've said this before, but there's a difference between, between having something and being something. It's different. Like, like the ocean, you know, the ocean has a lot of things. It has shells, it has, you know, it has seaweed, you know, it has, it has fish. But the ocean doesn't have water, right? The ocean is water. Um, the same is true with God. God has many attributes. He's omniscient, he's wise, he's omnipresent. But he doesn't have love. God is love. That's his, his essence is, is love. This is all that God is. And so everything that he is comes from love. In fact, every time we encounter love, we have encountered God. When we know love, we know God. Then fear is driven out because fear has to do with punishment. His love is not out there somewhere. It is available now. There's nothing more that he needs to do. There's nothing more that we need to do. All we do is put our faith in the finished work of Jesus. So we're going to take a moment here. I'm going to ask if we could, um, if we could close our eyes and we could bow our heads. Um, I'm going to say a few things and then we're going to pray. Because maybe you're here this morning and this thought in your mind has been, it's been in there for a while. This whole idea of the fear of God, having, being scared of God. And I want to reiterate that that thought comes from a, a limited understanding of the gospel. And it's fine. We're learning here together. But that that thought of just being scared of punishment is a, is a misunderstanding of what Christ did on the cross. Because if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, then the punishment fell on Jesus, and the verse says there is no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment, then there's no punishment that's coming your way so you can believe that the love is available for you. And my invitation to you this morning is that you will receive that love, that you will receive the acceptance, that you will receive the forgiveness, and that the overpowering love of God will drive out all fear that you may have. So if you're here today, and I'm going to ask if the eyes can keep, keep closed and the heads bowed, if you just need me to do a quick prayer for you uh, in regards to what we've uh, talked about today, just raise your hand real quick and put it right back down. Amen. Amen. God bless. Amen. 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 So Lord God, we pray this, this morning, and we thank you that you have made yourself available to us. The creator of the universe has made himself available to us. Thank you, God, because there's no, no longer all these steps that need to be taken in order to reconcile us with you, but that Christ has taken the full penalty and that now we can receive your love. Lord God, this morning we repent from all the times that we have felt like, like we're just scared that something's going to happen, and we repent from those thoughts because that's a, that's a limited understanding of what actually happened on the cross. Thank you for your forgiveness, and I pray specifically for the hands that were raised, that you allow for them to feel your love right now, to feel your embrace, to feel your acceptance, and that we will no longer be driven by fear, that this part of our lives will just begin to diminish day by day. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.